Hi, and welcome to Ignite Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle. Ignite is focused on passion, purpose, and positivity, and today we've got just that for you. I have with me today Jennifer Greenberg, author of Not Forsaken, in which she recounts her story of childhood abuse within the church and how she overcame it. I want to give fair warning that the content today could be triggering to some people, and adult supervision is advised because of the nature of the topics we will be discussing. Jennifer is going to share her journey of faith through the abuse, as well as share how we can be proactive in our churches and communities to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, I recently read your book, Not Forsaken, and it was amazing. Like, it was absolutely amazing. It was like one of those, like tearjerker, but also hopeful books. It was like it was very, it was very, it was like this dichotomy of like it was sad, but it was also hopeful at the same time. And, Thank you. Um, I just would love for you to talk a little bit about your book, about your your journey, um, mm-hmm. kind of your experience, and so I'm gonna hand it over to you and let you. Yeah do the talking. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, Not Forsaken is, it starts out, the first chapter kind of shares some of my autobiographical um, history, uh, my experiences growing up with child abuse, Mm -hmm. sexual abuse, domestic violence, and abuse in the church. Um, But we kind of uh, kept those stories towards in that first chapter so that should someone be, you know, like, a, for, for example, a victim or a survivor of abuse, mm. if they're concerned about it being too depressing or triggering, they can easily just skip that chapter and, and go on to mm. what I personally consider the really important part of the book, and that is uh, the recovery process, the mm. story of how um, we can spiritually thrive and heal by God's grace and actually grow in our relationship with Christ mm. as we recover from abuse. And, you know, it's it's funny. It's almost an ironic truth because, you know, I think so often that when people encounter um, uh, just profound betrayals, evil, um, you know, just the heartbreak that broken relationships and abuse causes. Um, so often what we feel is that we've been betrayed by God or abandoned by God or that God somehow, um, you know, caused these things to happen in our lives. Mm. And what I found as I, and actually kind of as I wrote this book, was that God actually meets us in our sorrow. Um, you know, there is... There's a profound beauty and power to the fact that we have a Savior who wept. Mm. We have a Savior who was beaten and broken and nailed to a cross Mm. because he's been through all that. He's experienced betrayal and broken relationships, and he's been gaslighted and called crazy or, or falsely accused of things that he didn't say or do. And so we have a God who understands what it's like to endure abuse and to be an abuse survivor Mm. and even a death survivor. And because I have suffered, because I've experienced pain, even though 
that suffering was terrible and the people who caused it were evil. Mm. Um, because of that, I can relate on a personal level with the God who created the universe. Mm. And for me, when I finally, when that clicked for me, and it took a while, you know, I had to kind of dig into scripture and really let it kind of marinate in my heart. But when that really clicked for me, I mean, it was just like, oh my goodness, I have a God who, who will walk through me through that valley of the shadow of death, yeah. uh, or walk with me, I should say, through that valley of the shadow of death. And, and not only is he with me in sorrow mm. and in suffering, but he will overcome. He has mm. overcome it but he will overcome it in my life as well. And, you know, if I had one, um, one message to share with abuse survivors and really anyone who is um, walking through suffering and, and recovery or, mm. or counseling abuse survivors, this is what I'd want to communicate, that, that we have a God who really cares and is compassionate. Mm. He's, he's not in a rush to... Um, you know, tell you to, to get over it or to let it go or to, you know, to, to somehow become a person who has no scars and who has no sorrow or anxiety or, or understandable fears. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, he meets us in our pain yeah. and, and he knows what it's like. And mm-hmm. I just, I think there's an incredible beauty in that. And I think it's something that at certainly for me personally, and I think for a lot of other survivors, it's incredibly empowering. Yeah. Wow. I, I got chills and I teared up listening to that. (laughs) I mean, that's like, what a powerful message and just kind of turning the whole idea on its head. You know, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel forsaken when they have Mm -hmm. gone through abuse, but then understanding that Jesus suffered abuse and he suffered the the physical abuse and the psychological abuse and the emotional abuse and the betrayal all of this mm-hmm. and he can relate to you on a personal level that is the most powerful like that to me is why Jesus came so that he could yeah. relate to us on such a personal level and that's just so Absolutely. refreshing so refreshing to hear um what you know obviously going through abuse you didn't quite have that mindset it was just kind of like you know you you had this mentality of like why is this happening to me I guess I deserve it mm-hmm. when did when was the turning point for you that you realized this is not okay and yeah. something needs to be done but I don't quite know what to do yeah that's a it's a really interesting question I think that because I grew up in a home where abuse was considered normal mm. I had a very different definition of what love means mm-hmm. uh, what forgiveness means what even what repentance means yeah and um, so you know my understanding of what was even happening to me developed as I mentally developed you know mm-hmm. when when a little child sees something bad happen um, they might feel scared they might know that something is wrong but they're not necessarily going to be able to put to words or even wrap their head around what they're seeing or what they're experiencing. And I think that was very true uh, for me. You know, from a very young age, I knew that something was missing in my mm-hmm. family. 
um, I knew that I didn't feel loved Mm. and I didn't feel supported. Um, So for example, when I was, I have a very early memory, this isn't in my book, but it just kind of um, came back to me recently, actually. I just remember this instance when I was probably about five or six years old and somehow I realized that, you know what, I'm not getting enough love. I don't feel loved and no one really tells me that they love me Mm -hmm. and no one tells me that they think I'm smart or that I'm pretty or anything like that. And so I kind of made a commitment to myself that anytime I felt insecure, I would tell myself, you know, no, you are, um, you are loved, Mm. you are pretty, you are smart. And so I would tell these things to myself. And you know, what's funny is even as a small child, it's like I was worried about becoming vain because I was complimenting myself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was, I was more concerned and I don't know how this even happened in my head, you know, at such a young age, but Mm. I was more concerned that if I was deprived of being told that I was loved and being told that I was, I was, you know, cared for and smart and pretty, et cetera, et cetera. I was concerned that that deprivation would damage me in the long run, that I wouldn't develop well, that I would, um, that I would, you know, grow up being angry or sad or, Mm. um, something like that. And so even at that very young age, I knew that something wasn't right, but it was more a sense of something being missing then um, that abuse existed in our home. Um, and so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the abuse that I experienced, I thought that I was being punished for being bad or for being obnoxious or for mm-hmm. being stupid. And, um, of course, a lot of the sexual abuse, I didn't even have a category for that in my head yet. Like, I just didn't understand it. Right. You know, so um, a lot of that stuff was just things that my brain sort of filed away like, well, that was weird, but we don't know what to think about that. So we're just going to file this away for later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then of course, later when I was a teenager, um, I began understanding those memories and I began understanding more of what was happening around me. Mm. And it was at that point that I started really putting words to, um, to what I was going through. It became more of, um, you know, my dad's not really a Christian. My dad doesn't love me. He's, he's some kind of monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I still didn't put the technical, legal, you know, domestic violence yeah. or abuse tags to what was happening. I think, I think that I understood it more conceptually yeah. than I did um, technically. And so, uh, yeah, so, you know, it was just kind of a peeling an onion sort of thing, like over a very long period of time. And then I think it wasn't really until I was probably about 21 Mm. that I started, you know, I got away from my family because I got, I got married. And so I was, I was in a safe place. I was living with my husband, Jason. And then it's like, I, I felt, I think just on an emotional, psychological level, it was just like, I knew it was okay for me to kind of face what had happened and truly define it. Um, And so I, you know, I started researching Texas law Mm. and Tennessee law and just different um, legal definitions for, uh, for what had happened to me. And then I started realizing, oh my goodness, this is, this is really bad. This Mm. is, you know, 
uh, aggravated assault of a child. This is, you know, that, and so then I started putting the legal terms and of course Mm -hmm. the legal terms are just really, um, it's like having cold water dumped on your head. Right. You know, it's like, I, I used to be able to say, oh, my dad, um, uh, you know, molested me or, or something like that. And for some reason that was easier for me to say or to think than saying sexual assault. Like that was just such a, it felt so extreme and it felt so brutal and, and horrible. Mm. And so just, I went through a whole series, a season where I was just putting technical names to what had occurred and, Mm. and correcting my pre or my, I don't know, preconceptions, misconceptions. Um, about what had even happened and, Mm. and tearing away that, that safety net of denial, you know, it really is a safety net. We kind of tend Mm. to, to sugarcoat things or, um, insulate things, you know, especially when we're dealing with people we love or Mm -hmm. small children or, um, you know, just how we talk to people who don't know us that well, you know, it's really hard to, say, for example, talk to a pastor or a police officer or a friend and just tell them, yes, this is what happened to me. You know, we want to whitewash it. We want Mm -hmm. to kind of make it appropriate or politically correct or Mm. um, socially acceptable. And you just can't with abuse, particularly any kind of sexual abuse or or child abuse. It's just you you can't. Um, It's just, it's never, there's just, not an easy or good way to say it and so learning how to say it was a big deal and you know I kind of I kind of go through that whole process in my book and like I said just relearning what love is and relearning what forgiveness really is and what repentance really is Um, because I had such false and misleading and warped understandings based on what my parents had taught me and the example my dad had lived Hmm. So how was that, you know, having grown up in the abusive environment and, you know, you, you talk about you met your husband. How did you make that connection with, um, like, how did you understand what love really was and you were able to move forward in marriage? Mm-hmm. That was a process as well. And, you know, what's funny is I never realized how bad my dad was until I moved in with Jason. Wow. Um, Suddenly I was living with this guy who cared about my feelings Mm. and he was interested in my opinions. You know, it's like he he didn't even buy a new vacuum without asking me like, okay, well, what, you know, what do you think we should do? And do you think this is a wise investment? And do you, and he wanted to know what I thought. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what is even happening? <laughs> and, and so because of the the godly example that my husband set, I was able to understand what an ungodly man my dad had been. And the irony of that is, is that my dad supposedly had been a Christian mm-hmm. for for decades, right? And Jason, he only became a Christian probably a year before we got married. Mm. And and so just the um, the contrast of the the spiritual maturity, the the concern for um, 
for my feelings the um and and then of course Jason's interest in encouraging my hobbies and mm. wanting me to have a career and and um not just holding that, that you, not holding you back yeah exactly exactly yeah because my my dad used to he um he was very much you know of the opinion that there was no point in educating me that mm. you know because I was a woman I should just you know, quote, marry a rich man, end quote, as if there's all these, you know, rich guys just wandering around, right? <laughs> how is that? Like, <laughs> how is this even practical? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I just have the pick of all these guys, Dad. Thanks for the great advice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All the options. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and, so it was just like there was just so many levels of um, – just delusion really I think in the way that abusive people think right in the way that they define gender roles Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and just how life works in general Mm um you know so it's funny like I don't think my dad would have ever come out and said that he doesn't think women should work but he he very much held my mom back from doing that and um when I tried to uh go to college it was like you need to get it through your head that that you know women only go to college because they want to prove that they can it's not because um you know any woman would ever want to have a career and I'm just like uh actually (laughs) right actually dad (laughs) so yeah um there were just it's funny is there was there were times when I believed his lies, and then there were times when I knew that he was lying. Right. But then, you know, even if you know that your dad is lying to you, what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, how do you respond? It's mm. it's really awkward and strange. And so, especially if you're afraid of him. So I was just, you know, kind of very like, okay, yeah, you know, smile and nod sort of response, and right. let's not argue about this because this could end badly for me yeah. sort of reaction. Right, yeah. right. Did you ever have anyone in your life after you got away from your parents, did they ever come to you and say something like, Jennifer, you need to go forgive your dad and you need to work on your relationship with him? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had actually, um, I even had pastors tell me that. Mm. And I think a lot of it is, um, there's a lack of understanding of what forgiveness is. Yeah. There's, um, but in particular, I think it's rooted in a lack of understanding of what repentance is. Right. Um, because if someone is not repentant, particularly of um, a dangerous criminal and or violent crime, mm-hmm. um, you know, and pattern of behavior, like this is an ongoing pattern. It's not like, right. um, it's not like, you know, he dings someone's car with a shopping cart or something mm-hmm. like that or... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or or cussed out somebody at work. It's this is an ongoing pattern, and it's actually dangerous. And so, and the other thing I think that pastors need to understand, and church leaders, just Christians in general, when you're talking to an abuse survivor, their definition of words might be very different than yours. So, like, for example, I've noticed that a lot of Christians seem to define forgiveness as just, quote, let go of your anger, end quote. That's right. all they mean. Mm-hmm. But forgiveness, in a biblical sense, is a whole lot more. Yeah. For example, when God forgives us, 
he's reconciled with us. He invites us back mm. into the fold. He, right. he loves us. He accepts us. So are we talking about that? Or like, for example, in my family, forgiveness was code for, um, don't talk about this anymore. Mm. Don't get help. Pretend you're okay. Suck yeah. it up. Mm-hmm. Um, act like nothing bad ever happened. Right. And so are we talking about that kind of forgiveness? Because that's really dangerous and could actually put my children at risk. Right. So let's not even go there. So, mm. um, you know, so when Christians come to me and say things like that, I, it's difficult to know how to respond. It's, yeah. So, you know, it's like, okay, first of all, what in the world are you talking about? You know, it's like I, I've come to a place by God's grace in my life and it took many years to get here, yeah. but I've come to a place where I'm no longer angry at my father. However, I have absolutely no desire to ever speak to him again. Yeah. I will never let him near my children, and I have no problem with reporting him to the police if I find out that he's done anything additional. Right. So, you know, the, in, the, in one sense, yes, I've forgiven him. In the sense that we're reconciled, absolutely not. Because there's no, there's no repentance there. Yeah. You know, repentance is so much more than just saying you're sorry. Mm. I think in my entire life, my dad's only said sorry twice. And wow. both were in situations where he'd gotten caught. Mm. And he knew that if he didn't say that he was sorry, then something, you know, he'd face some sort of consequence. Right. So, so th- those were not sincere examples of repentance. And the other way that we can know that it wasn't sincere is that his patterns of behavior continued. Yeah. You know, as a Christian, when I say, for example, you know, I'm a mom, you're a mom. Uh, sometimes we get exasperated with our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had, there's been five meltdowns. Somebody spilled milk on the couch. The cat just gapped on the floor. You know, your husband's late home from work and you just kind of lose it and you yeah. snap at your children. But what happens is you take your children aside. You say, I am so sorry. I mm-hmm. love you. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to scare you or, or mm-hmm. to make you feel like you'd feel bad. I love you very much. You know, let's, let's clean up this mess. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, let's do something fun together and, and let's make up. And yeah. so that's the way a Christian or just really any loving person responds mm-hmm. when they realize they've made a mistake or they've sinned. Right. An abuser, on the other hand, what they'll do is they may say they're sorry, like mm-hmm. dishonestly just to get out of um, a difficult situation or right. to falsely trick you into trusting them again. Mm-hmm. They may say that they're sorry. But then what they're going to do is they may behave themselves for a little while. They may behave themselves in public, but they're going to return to that sin. They're going to keep right. um, harming you. They're going to keep scaring you. They're going to keep lying mm-hmm. and saying perverted things and doing perverted things and and crossing boundaries and one thing that i've also noted is that abusers will often try to control you and i think this is a big red flag so for example um my abusers would tell me um if you don't forgive me god won't forgive you wow now remember In my family, forgive was code for pretend it never happened and don't Mm. tell anybody. Right. So basically, they're asking me to lie. Mm. They're saying, if you don't live a lie, God won't love you. Wow. And so it's a very twisted, um, spiritually abusive interpretation of scripture. Yeah. Um, 
God doesn't expect us to tolerate evil. He, mm-hmm. In fact, he even says, you know, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, we're mm-hmm. to call out, you know, if there's, um, we expose truth. I think it's uh, Paul, you know, he says, bring it into the light, you know, let the truth be known, expose it, Um, you know, because the things, the things people do in the dark, you know, it's Mm. shameful to even talk about them, it's embarrassing, it's difficult, it's hard, and yet, when we bring those things out into the light, truth is known, justice can be done, the innocent can be protected, and so good comes out of exposing evil, and that's exactly what God wants us to do. Wow, that's powerful. And that totally changes the idea of repentance and forgiveness. And mm-hmm. I feel like particularly people that have not gone through abuse um, can have difficulty understanding this. It's like, why can't you just forgive that person? Because they don't understand the depths mm-hmm. of depravity that that person has. And that yeah. you just, there's no, there's just no way that you can be around that. Especially yeah. if it's putting you and your children in danger. Like, that's just, that's a no-go zone. Um, Absolutely. You've got to protect your kids. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, like, I, I feel like, you know, the the um, the scandal that broke out with Rabbi Zacharias. Like, just yes. absolutely heartbreaking. And you look at that, that was someone that was in authority that people looked up to. And he had those same... Uh, patterns of abuse and the same tendencies of like if you tell everyone about this people are going to lose their faith I mean like that's just that's absolutely heartbreaking you know and that's just it's it's so twisted and poisonous yeah yeah and I would like for you to share a little bit about how we as Christians as parents as just good people can be aware of patterns of abuse and what to look for specifically with children and what kind of steps we can take to get help for these vulnerable people. Absolutely. Well, one of the first things I would say is, you know, you can, even if someone looks like they might be repentant Mm -hmm. um, or says they're sorry, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't face consequences for what they've done. This is a really important thing. You know, even after David um, repented of, uh, you know, raping, abusing, uh, Bathsheba and, mm. and, and murdering Uriah. I mean, good grief. You know, mm. he, he committed some horrific sins. Even after he repented, God still held him accountable. Yeah. He still experienced severe consequences for what he did. Yeah. Another example is the thief on the cross. Mm. You know, the thief on the cross, he, um, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but do we see Jesus taking those nails out of his hands and his feet? Mm-hmm. Did Jesus let him down off that cross? No. Mm. Jesus said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Yeah. That you know, so so that thief, he still faced very harsh penalties for for his sins, yeah. um, and so when we um, when we see someone committing abuse. I think it's important to realize that, yes, we can minister to them. Hmm. Yes, we can even forgive them. But that does not mean they need to be let down off the hook. Yeah. Um, we still need to hold them accountable. We still need to protect victims. And, um, uh, of course, children who haven't been, you know, any potential of vi- victims, we need to keep them from potentially becoming victims. Right. 
Um, and also, you know, this, this sort of holding it, holding people accountable, it, it's actually a service to the abuser mm. in a sense, because you're demanding that they repent in the correct way. They have to make amends for what they've done. Right. They need to accept the consequences of what they've done, because mm. if they can't accept, if they won't accept the consequences, mm. that's a big red flag that they're yeah. not really sorry. Right. And until they're really repentant, until they're really sorry, what's their hope? Yeah. How can we how can we reasonably say that this person is repentant and they're going to heaven if they won't even accept the consequences of what they've done? Right. So you're just basically you're basically rolling out the red carpet on their pathway to hell. Mm -hmm. We have to confront these people and call them out. And also it sends a loud message to anyone who's dealing with temptation in their mind. Yeah. If they are tempted to abuse or betray or mm -hmm. cheat on their wife or whatever, they can see you calling out abuse and go, okay, I need to not do what's on my mind. I need to fight this temptation. I need to see a therapist. I need yeah. to do whatever it takes to stop myself from going to those extremes yeah. because I will be held accountable and I don't want to go through that. Right. So there's a many, many reasons why we hold abusers accountable. Mm. And, you know, back to um, the whole, uh, you know, signs that we look for in children, that's a really hard one because, yeah. like I said, when I was a kid, um, I didn't define words the yeah. same way as normal people. So, right. for example, I might tell a pastor, my daddy has anger issues. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, to, to a normal, emotionally healthy person, it could just mean, okay, when his football team loses, he throws the remote. You know, when he gets stuck in traffic, he says some bad words. Yeah. Like, so that means many different things to different people. Yeah. Um, so when you hear a child say something, my dad has anger issues, um, or, you know, I, there's other examples we could, we could think of, mm. but what needs to happen is you need to ask the child, well, what do you mean when you say that? Can you give me a, an example? Um, what does anger look like? Um, you know, are you, um, are you safe? Are you scared? Um, and of course, you know, mm. the other thing we need to do is be very aware of state law. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize, but I'll just use Texas as an example. Mm -hmm. um, in Texas, if you even suspect that a child is being abused, you don't fact check, you don't launch an investigation, you mm -hmm. don't confront the abuser, you report to law enforcement within yeah. 48 hours. Wow. You tell yes, within 48 hours. So, for example, if I'm if I'm working at at say a Sunday school class mm -hmm. and I notice some weird bruising on a child, mm. um, I might ask the child, you know, how did this happen? Um, but even if the child tells me, oh well, I fell down the stairs, or I, you know, oh up. A common one for uh, women who are being abused is, oh, I walked into a door or something like that, yeah. right? It's almost cliche how many times mm -hmm. um, I've heard people use that excuse. Um, but if we kind of go, hmm, that, you know, I don't know about that, uh, then you are legally required right. to inform law enforcement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that. They think that they need mm. to ask more questions or just take the victim at their word. Mm. Like, um, as a child, I 
I love my daddy. Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to get in trouble. I wanted right. to protect him. And I was taught that if I was a really good little girl and kept his secrets and, um, mm. and didn't complain, then that maybe my dad would see Jesus in me and then he would change and become a loving daddy. Yeah. So I was desperate to protect my father. I wanted my father mm -hmm. to have godly friends and mm -hmm. to be an elder at our church. And I yeah. wanted him to have teaching opportunities at our church because I was under the misconception that if my dad was honored, mm -hmm. if he was loved, if he was believed to be godly, yeah. then that somehow he would become godly. Right. And, you know, so... So when a child is under that, um, under that illusion right. that's imposed by their abuser, they're not necessarily going to tell you that they're being abused. I mean, and, and the other, mm -hmm. the other issue I dealt with was, um, my dad used to tell me that, oh, if, um, if, if you ever run away, um, you're going to have to live under a bridge mm -hmm. or if, if you ever, you know, tell anybody if you ever betray me, then, um, you know, you'll have to go, uh, live in a foster home and, and foster homes are always abusive. And, mm -hmm. and so these were lies that I yeah. believed yeah. and I was very afraid, mm. um, of people finding out what was going on, yeah. um, in large part because at least the danger at home I was familiar with, right. Yeah. It right. was something I understood. It was something I could to some level, um, anticipate, understand, mm -hmm. and rely upon right. as horrible as that sounds. Um, but taking that leap of faith yeah. and, and hoping that I didn't land in an even worse situation, um, was just terrifying to me. So, right. you know, when we see signs of abuse, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be a child coming to us and saying something that just kind of makes us go, huh, or, you know, seeing injuries or just seeing, insecure behavior. So like, for example, um, there can be a lot of things that would cause this, but, um, when you see a child doing something unusual, like, um, pulling at their, uh, eyebrows, mm -hmm. injuring themselves, behaving in self-destructive ways, um, being unusually depressive or, or jumpy. Like if you come up behind a child and they nearly jump out of their skin, mm. you might need to ask, ask, well, okay, mm. what's going on with this kid? Right. Um, and look into it more. Um, mm. Oh, I had another thing I was going to say and it just blanked out on it. Um, but yeah, so just these kind of patterns of like, right. uh, PTSD yeah. or trauma, right. familiarize yourself with those symptoms, right. be aware of them. And again, you know, these sorts of things, like for example, I had a little friend who would pick out her eyebrows. She just mm -hmm. used to pull out her eyebrows. Mm -hmm. That can be like an OCD thing right. or, um, you know, some sort of a, uh, developmental issue she's going through, yeah. but it could also be other things. Right. And so we need to address these things. And you know what? Even if it is developmental, even if it is, you know, OCD or whatever, it still needs to be addressed. Right. Like we still need to take care of that child. So regardless of what the cause is, mm. it needs to be looked into. And I think right. that just right. instead of, I think a lot of Christians and just, and I don't think this is something that's theological or philosophical. It's more a cultural thing. Right. So it goes beyond the church, but in America, we tend to value our independence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. 
we tend to want to not pry into other people's affairs. Right. And so we might see something like notice that a child hasn't been bathed in three weeks. Mm. And we might just think, well, that's, that's weird, but you know what? It's none of my business. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna kind of let that slide and I'm not gonna ask any questions and I'm not gonna offer to help. Right. When really that child might be neglected mm-hmm. or that child might be being abused or that parent may just need help. Yeah. You know, so regardless of the cause, mm. um, when we see signs like that, we need to be we need to be proactive and in getting mm. involved and mm. and and communicating our mm-hmm. concerns mm-hmm. and just taking care of one another as a family. You know, there's a reason we're called um, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus because we're we're a family and we're supposed to operate like a family. If you see your brother or sister mm. um, or their child uh, suffering in any way, you know, we're supposed to get involved. Right. Right. Hang on one second. I hear. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how uh, we as Christians can relate to abuse survivors and and how we can reach out and love on abuse survivors without um, without further damaging them. Because you know mm-hmm. we talked earlier about how Christians will be very well meaning and they'll say you need to forgive, but that's not what abuse survivors need. Yeah. Sorry, guys. My kid is here with me right now. He's got a little bit of a cough. <laughs> he is adorable. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think, first of all, you don't have to have all the right words. Mm. It's okay not to know what to say or how to respond. And when you feel that, when you feel, oh my goodness, this is like, I don't know what to say. Or am I supposed to pray with this person? Am I supposed to say something to make it all better, like, what do I do? It's okay to just be quiet for a few seconds, and it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know how to handle this, let me help you find someone who can help you better. Because I think that's actually one of the most proactive things you can do, Mm. Um, you know, just connecting them with someone who maybe is, has more experience in the area, um, Mm. a pastor, a therapist, you know, and of course, offer, oh you, know, you know what, especially if a crime has been committed, you can offer like, you know, this is this is way over my head. I don't know what we should do, but mm. if you want to report this to the police, I am supportive of you, and I will yeah. sit here and be with you while you do mm. that. Um, one of the big reasons I never reported um, uh, my dad, at least not while the statute of limitations before the statute of limitations was up, mm-hmm. I did eventually report him, but but it was too late at that point um, for them to actually press charges. But one of the reasons that I didn't was because I didn't have the support that I needed to do it. Right. I was in a situation where um, you know my my uh, past- pastors and church leaders and and my role models at the time. Uh, those people are no longer in my life, but mm-hmm. at the time, the people who were kind of helping me make decisions were very much against me reporting. Right. Um, and it, one guy who claims to be a lawyer even uh, told me that unless my dad had punched me, like with a closed fist, then it wasn't illegal. And so I believed that, which, yeah, it's crazy. Um, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, so, but that's apparently a prevalent lie. 
Wow. That, that people believe that unless an abuser hits you with a closed fist, it's not illegal. That is not true at all. Um, and this lawyer, he, he knew that, but he was trying to cover for my dad, unfortunately. Wow. So, you know, I, I think that just having that support there of like, look, I don't know what you're going through, but I am so sorry. I want to help you. I'm here to listen. Even if I don't have any good advice, I hear you. Let me help you connect you with, with people who are experienced specialists, law enforcement, lawyers, therapists, whoever they may need. Right, right. And, you know, and, and that's, that's a profound help. And so, you know, and the other thing, of course, is, you know, if you've ever been through something bad, whether that be a divorce or maybe you've survived a serious illness, maybe mm. you've had a loved one who has died, you know what pain feels like. You know what sorrow and betrayal feels like. Maybe you've had people gossip about you before. You know how much that hurts. Mm -hmm. And so take your own pain, take the own, your own like bad things that have happened to you mm -hmm. and just imagine how that feels again yeah. and, and recall that feeling mm -hmm. and be available to, to weep with that person, to mm -hmm. hug them and pray with them mm -hmm. and and just understand what that raw feeling is like and be patient with them because, you know, when something bad happens, whether it be, you know, you just got diagnosed with cancer, you've lost a loved one, you've lost your job, whatever it may be, it's not a quick fix and there's, there isn't a quick fix and nothing you say or do is, is going to speed up their recovery process. And so the best thing you can do is just to be willing to walk through the process with them. Right. That's, um, that's sound, that's sound advice that you don't hear very often. So I'm really thankful, um, that we have the opportunity to talk about this and, kind of get a better understanding of how we can be more proactive in these areas and what we can do to actually help instead of just, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that's awful. And then you just move on. It's like, because we're right, not... Exactly, I'll pray for you. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like as Christians, we're called to something better. We're called to go even further with people and to walk alongside them and to help carry their burden and to support them and encourage them through their healing process. So, yeah, oh, gosh. And you know the other thing I think, too, is like, poor baby, <laughs> oh, he's so sweet. Um, yeah, I wish your listeners could see him because he's just like, he's like the Gerber baby. He's so cute. Um, but yeah, so if you're gifted in, say, preparing meals, mm. like say, for example, somebody has a baby, what's the first thing you do? You offer to bring them dinner. Mm -hmm. When someone loses a loved one, what do you do? You offer to maybe start a meal train or mm -hmm. mow their lawn or help them with laundry, like whatever they need. Yeah. You kind of step into their life right. and you help them get things done. And so, you know, when, when someone is, has survived abuse, they are, they may not have a broken arm, but they mm. have a broken heart and yes. they may not have had a loved one die, but their relationship with that loved one died. And mm. so we need to react in a similar way, mm. you know, step into their life, you know, and, and be sensitive to Sometimes people do just want to be alone. Yeah. But me personally, I needed to not just know like verbally that people were supportive of me. I needed to feel it. And so stepping in and saying, okay, Jen, 
you know, what do you need help with? What do you, Mm. like, how can we take a few things off your plate so you have more time to grieve, more time to process, more time to read your Bible, Mm. more time to pray, more time to go to to Mops or that lady's Bible study. What can I do to make your life easier? Right. Um, Babysit your kids, you know, whatever it takes. Mm. And, of course, a lot of women in particular who are escaping bad marriages they need to go look for jobs. Yeah. They need to, um, you know, they need to apply for food stamps. They need to do all these things that are overwhelming. Mm. And of course, if you've never had experience, um, say, supporting your family financially, balancing a budget, mowing the lawn, I mean, all these added things that are suddenly on your plate, it's just yeah. like, overwhelming. You know, people wonder, oh, it's so overwhelming. And you know, people wonder why abuse victims go back to their abuser. Yeah. It's because they don't know how to cope on their own. Right. They need help. Right. And so, um, you know, just filling that gap. Okay. Your, uh, your violent husband used to do all these things. Well, let's see how many people at church can step in and take care of these tasks until you acclimate to your new normal, until you acclimate to handling all this yourself. Um, you let me babysit your kids while you go look for jobs, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever it, whatever needs to happen, you know, or just just so right. you can be alone and cry by yourself for yeah. a minute. Right. Because, and you know, that, that's family. That's what family does. We need to operate as a family. And I love the fact that we have a baby voice in the podcast as I say this because I feel like this is so applicable. Like, this is real life. We need to get into the nitty-gritty with each other and be part of each other's lives. And, yeah. and kids are part of that. So it's beautiful. And, yeah. And, and look at, look at, even though situations like this are, are sad and disturbing, look at these as opportunities to show the grace of Christ and mm. the love of God. Yeah. Because that's really what it is. It's an opportunity to love and mm. recover and heal and care for one another. I love that. Jennifer, how can people uh, buy your book? Is it on Amazon? It is, yeah. It's on Amazon. It's on, actually, we have an audiobook available now. So if you want to download it off um, Amazon or Audible, it's up there, which I'm super excited about. We got um, this professional narrator. I mean, she's she's incredible. She's incredibly talented. She's like listening to an old friend's talk, you know, or a sister talk. Um, and so I was just, I was so pleased with her performance and her production. And um, yes, yeah, so that's on Audible and it's Not Forsaken, same book title. And uh, there's also, let's see, it's also on Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's every, it's everywhere. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Jennifer, I want to end this podcast with you giving, share, just sharing your heart with people who may be suffering with abuse or have come out of that and they are, they just feel broken and they don't know where to start. What is something that you would say to them today? Well, uh, I would say, you know what, it's, it's okay to be sad Hmm. and it's okay to be angry. You know, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept Mm -hmm. and, you know, he knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. He knew firsthand how wonderful heaven is. Um, and yet he wept because this life is hard. And mm. sorrow is painful, and and the suffering and the the trauma we go through in this life is real. Yeah. 
And, you know, Jesus also wept in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, when he knew that he was going to be crucified, the apprehension, the distress he experienced. I mean, he he was so racked with anxiety and, and fear and pain that he's, it's like he sweated blood. Yeah. You know, so don't ever feel ashamed or, or like you're, you're broken or mm. like there's something wrong with you because you feel sad. This is actually a very understandable mm. and reasonable and logical response to a terrible and irrational and evil thing that was done to you. Mm. So, you know, don't, don't feel like, you know, you're crazy or you're, you're broken or you're, you're damaged because actually you're having a react, a, a rational response mm. to an irrational evil. And so, you know, if you're angry, you know, God is angry with the wicked every day. We read that in the Psalms. Um, God is angry at evil. Jesus got angry when he saw the money changers in the temple. Not only did he get angry, but he grabbed a whip and he beat them out of the temple. So, you know, so don't feel don't don't layer guilt on yeah. top of your pain. Don't layer shame on top of your pain. Mm-hmm. And don't let anyone else do that either. Yeah. Because Jesus mm-hmm. knows how you feel. Mm-hmm. And and this is as cliche as it sounds, this is a season of your life that has an ending. It's not mm-hmm. it's not this in eternal indefinite thing that you're going through yeah. you are going to heal you are going to recover mm-hmm. i'm not go- i'm not going to lie to you that life is is ever going to get easy yeah. or that that having faith is some sort of um get better quick button that you can just push right. and suddenly all the sadness or the anger or the depression mm-hmm. the anxiety is just going to go away right. no you know we read the bible we read about the things the apostle paul went through this mm-hmm. thorn in his flesh that that was sent from satan to provoke him you know he he never had an easy life mm-hmm. he was never stress-free or anxiety-free or he he was never you know happy-go-lucky right um but but he walked through that in faith Mm. and it is by grace through faith that we are saved not because we're perfect not because we have instagram perfect smiles on our faces all the time or some sort of hallmark love story Mm. you know god saves us out of sin and whether that be our own sin or other people's sin and Mm. He redeems us out of our pain and our mm. our, our our sadness, and mm. and he knows what it's like to be human. Mm. So, don't let anyone ever shame you if you're um, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling angry mm. or or anxious or worried or afraid. These are things that God, because He became human, yeah. because He He came down and He lived a human, albeit perfect sinless life Mm -hmm. he knows what that's like Mm -hmm. and and that's an incredible thing that that we can grasp even in our darkest moments i love that jennifer thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom sharing your experience and just sharing your heart with people um 
I'm just really, really thankful for the opportunity to talk to people like you that want to get the message out there and want to share their story of healing despite the brokenness they've experienced. And what a powerful message you have. Uh, if you guys are interested in learning more, you can go to jennifergreenberg.net. .net, yes. Okay, okay, <laughs> .net, I got it. <laughs> Her book is also available on Amazon and Amazon Kindle, you said? Yes, and Audible now, too. Audible. You are such a fancy cat. (laughs) And I'm really excited, too, to announce that I don't have a a launch date for it yet, but there is a Spanish version in in process. Mm. So it will be, it's being translated to Spanish, and I'm expecting to have a launch date for that pretty soon. So God is just opening doors and doing things that, I mean, this is, like, way beyond, like, I, I... I should speak Spanish. I wish I did, but he is opening doors that I never could have dreamed of and, um, or have the capacity to open on my own. So it's just been incredibly encouraging to, to watch him work Hmm. through, um, through the the darkness that I've experienced Mm -hmm. through, um, even through the evil of my abusers. You know, one of my favorite Bible verses is Genesis 50 verse 20. And it's, um, you know, it, it's when uh, Joseph is talking to his abusive brothers mm-hmm. who sold him into, into really human slavery. And he says, you intended evil against me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, mm-hmm. the saving of many lives. And I just hope that, and I do think that God is using this to, to help many people and to save many lives. And... Um, whether that be literally saving them from from abuse mm. or from suicidal ideation yeah. or um, or spiritually just saving them from despair. Yeah. I really believe that that is happening and I, I'm mm. profoundly grateful for it. And I'm grateful for you mm. um, for just, just having the heart for this ministry and mm. for giving me the opportunity to, to speak and to have this conversation. I, I really appreciate mm. it and and I uh, Thank you for letting me be part of your your day. <laughs> your beautiful, I, beautiful baby and mom life. It's thank fun. You. It's fun. It yeah, is. Well, I, I'm just impressed. I had to lock my door because I know that my my little tot would have just come waltzed waltzing in here and, and probably said something weird. So. <laughs> I heard At my yours can't yours can't talk yet. So well, I do have a two year old, and I heard him at the door when I started. He was like leaning on the door and like jabbing his elbow on the door, so I knew he was there. But he eventually got tired and and wandered off. So that's so funny. They say the funniest things. I know. Oh it's, my goodness, it's yep. the best. M- mine is mine is trying the door right now. So. <laughs> Well, Jennifer, I will let you go and finish out the rest of your day, but this has been such an honor. I'm so excited, um, and keep doing what you're doing. I mean, this is God's work, and it's it's amazing to see. Same to you. Hi. This is my other one. He wants to say hi. Can you say hi? Hi, buddy. Hi. Yeah, let's not spray the doggy right now. <laughs> and on that oh. note, we're going to say bye-bye. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. All right, Jennifer. Day. Thank you so much. We'll see you later. Bye.